Thank you very much. Please be seated. Thank you so much. It's great to be back at Overlake uh, after so, so many years of friendship, more than 20 years. Had the privilege of meeting Rowdy Pastor Mike uh, five years ago and just seeing all the crazy things he's been doing and uh, just thrilled to be back, thrilled to be sharing and seeing what God is orchestrating in our lives and through our lives. And, and uh, that's what this message is going to be about today is God's orchestration, how God is moving in your lives, in, in this church uh, at Overlake as well, what he is desiring to orchestrate. And it comes down to, to God's goodness and what He is doing among us. And so I'd like to encourage you to chur- turn to uh, Philippians 1.6 and we'll read that verse. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You'll be hearing music throughout this message because I see the, this passage, although it may not work in Greek, it does work for me. This good work that God began to me is, is like looking at a giant piece of music or a score and how God begins to orchestrate through notes and circumstances and situations to orchestrate something beautiful in our lives. Now, this whole music thing might be because all four of our children are musicians. And they get inspired at the most ungodly times at night. It's usually about 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, you hear the piano, you hear the guitars, you hear different things going. But you hear this orchestration taking place. And that's how I see what God does in our lives as well, using these, these notes, using what God has done for us to orchestrate something far beyond what we would have ever thought of, what we'd have ever considered or even imagined. And uh, I remember those first notes. I certainly hope you remember them as well. When God orchestrated those first few notes of salvation in your life and what that means. Because I didn't grow up in in a Christian home. I grew up with alcoholic parents. I remember brawls during the night wondering if my parents were going to kill each other, wondering if I needed to call the police. And I had brothers that were 12 and 8 years older than I am. And uh, so when I was 6, my oldest brother left just because of all the conflicts. And my brother, who's 8 years older, he would just do everything to take care of me. He'd take me to his mini market on weekends where he worked and share his salary with me. He'd take me to the libraries at night just so hopefully we'd get home after the fights. And this guy was so cool that he would even take me out on his dates. I mean, can you imagine somebody taking someone who's eight years younger out on a date? I mean, this guy, he, he almost walks on water, you know. But when, he, when I was 12 years old, he went into the Coast Guard and my life fell apart. This guy who had taken care of me and who had loved me and seen how much I suffered in my childhood it, ha- had to leave. And I started making some very, very poor decisions. I started using drugs as a painkiller just to deal with everything that was going on in my home because I thought, well, at least when you're loaded, it doesn't seem to hurt so much, you know. And you start out with kind of lighter stuff, just smoking pot, smoking dope. But that didn't last too long because it didn't kill enough pain. 
And so I started taking heavier and heavier things for the next three years, basically anything that came my way. And I remember that I, at a party, I met a guy who was shooting heroin, and his veins were just destroyed. This guy just looked like death walking around. And he goes, Jeff, how about, how about shooting up with me next weekend? And I thought about my life, what a disaster it was, how much hate I had in my life. I looked at my parents and I go, if this is what I have to look forward to, I don't care if I ever make it. And so I said yes. But then you see how God orchestrates things and he orchestrated this sweet little lady to come and show up that very week. And it was my grandmother. And she goes, Jeff, next weekend is Mother's Day and you never give me a present, you dog. And she said a few other things, and she, she goes, I just like one, one Mother's Day present from you. And I was thinking flowers, and I was thinking chocolates, so I went, yeah, I can do this. I go, Grandma, whatever you want. And she gets this grandma smile, you know. She goes, I want you to go to church with me. And I go, oh, no. <laughs> Set up by my own grandmother. I thought I could trust this lady. Because I had such a warped concept of God back then, even at, at age 15, I thought, I am in big trouble. I'm going to walk through the front door of that church and God is going to kill me. <laughs> he knows me. He knows what I've been doing. So I'm just going to step in and it's going to be this lightning bolt and I'm going to be dust. This isn't the way I wanted to go. But then I started thinking, okay, here's my options. Betray my grandmother die of an overdose or be killed by God okay I'll try God if he kills me he's responsible at least okay and I remember going to this little church in Portland Oregon and I literally pray to God that I never forget this when I walked into that church I saw the love of God for the first time in my life and I did not know what to do and I was basically standing there with my mouth open, watching. And then I got this clever idea. I'm so clever. I'm going to come back next Sunday, and I'm going to catch them, because they only behave well on Mother's Day. <laughs> so I come back the next Sunday. Hmm, major problem. They behave well on non-Mother's Days as well. And so now I have this major problem, and I'm standing there trying to think this through, and some of my friends from grade school who had come into the kingdom, come up, came up to me and said, Jeff, what are you doing here? And I went, oh, I came with my grandmother. And, and they said, oh, you got to come on a Wednesday night. That's where the youth meet, and it's really cool. And so I said, okay. And so I walk into the basement of this youth pastor, and there's a, it's about this big, and there's 100 kids in there. And I'm looking at these kids, and I'm going, what planet are these people from? How can there exist a life so different than what I have lived my entire life? And I went, I better come back one more time. So I didn't miss anything for the next six weeks. Every adult service, every youth service, I was there. And then the youth pastor had this event in, in a park where I used to be loaded all the time. Now I want you to know my, my definition of a good youth pastor is he's always in trouble with the elders of the church, okay? <laughs> Because he's always doing all kinds of crazy things. Kind of like Pastor Mike's always in trouble with the elders. You know, it's a sign of a good pastor, you know. So 
he's doing this Woodstock out in this park where I used to be loaded all the time, and one of the sponsors, who's about five years older than me, who's a doper, comes up to me. And you know how dopers can pick out others pretty easy? Well, I'm watching today, too, okay? So I, you can't fool me. I mean, I'll pick you guys out. I got a couple of you. I got your numbers already on a couple of you guys, okay? But he comes up to me, and he goes, Jeff, what do you think of all this? And I go, I don't get it. And he goes, Jeff, it's pretty easy. They have Jesus, and you don't. And I knew it was true. And so in that park where I was, used to destroy my life, I invited Jesus into my heart. And he said, you should be baptized. And I'd seen some baptisms in the six weeks, and I went, I'm ready. I want to start over. I want to be born again. And so we're walking out of the park to go to the, to go to the church, and this police car comes tearing down the road and stops in front of me, and I just freeze. And they jump out, and luckily they run by me. <laughs> and they go into this house, and they start pulling out kids. And I see that God is orchestrating something. And in that park, he speaks to me, and he says, Jeff, this is what I'm saving you from. And he filled me with a peace, and, and I understood that, lo- that God loved me as messed up as I was. And he began to orchestrate a new thing in my life because it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creature the old things has gone and the new has come I have a paraphrased of that whoever is in Christ gets new sheet music the old score is torn up it's washed clean by the, by the blood of the lamb and we're able to start once again with a whole new orchestration. And so I began to, to go to the church and nothing had changed at home. It was still hell. Everything was going wrong. And then I'd go there and the youth pastor would say, kids, you need to, you need to love and honor your parents and obey them. And I'd go, I'm exempt. My parents don't deserve any honor, any love. They're my problem. And the pastor would go, you know what, Jeff? It's not, about, it's not about them. It's about you. And it's about what God is doing in your life. And so God began to orchestrate forgiveness in my life and love in my life and concern. He began to use different things and began to, to create a melody that, that actually helped me understand and, and care for my parents. And so I began to stay home. God put a concern in my heart for them. And six months later in that little church, both my parents came to know Jesus as well. And I then baptized my two older brothers. And so God transformed my entire family. And at that time, I decided I want to dedicate my life to the creator of this wonderful piece of music. He who orchestrates things far beyond anything that we've asked for or anything that we've ever imagined. I just could not believe how God can turn a life around like that. And I decided to go to San Jose Bible College, which was the college that, that our church really encouraged. And that freshman year, I heard some of the sweetest notes, some of the most beautiful notes from that young lady. She's been my girlfriend for 37 years. We've been married 34, but she'll always be my girlfriend first. And uh, we dated for three years. 
and then got married between our junior and senior year. And towards the end of the senior year, you start getting stressed. What am I going to do? I got to, you know, school's over. I need to wake up to reality. And so we started thinking about working in New York with the Shiloh ministry, teaching young children how to read in the streets. And then Kathy came home one day and she said, Jeff, the president of the, of the college's wife just said to me, we've been to Chile and we think God can use you there. And I made this dangerous statement. I said, if God opens the doors, we'll go. Very dangerous statement. Three months later, the day after our first wedding anniversary, with a whopping $300 a month pledged in a one-way ticket, we took off for Chile. And we've been there for the last 33 years now, loving Chileans, uh, four children born there, four grandchildren born there as well, and just seeing God's mercy and God's grace. And we, we fell in love with a whole new style. Believe me, I did not know a word of Spanish when I left. And so I had to learn a whole new set of words for what God was orchestrating. And I have two left feet when it comes to dancing. And so even what I had to do in, in regards to, to rhythm was humiliating. <laughs> As I learned to love that, that new race. And then you see how God had orchestrated kind of a painful past. Some tough times. But I understand why he allowed that in, in, in some ways because... We moved into Chile, where there was 16 years of a dictatorship. Pinochet, martial law, curfews. Get caught after, after curfew, you could be shot. People disappearing, never finding these people again. And so I saw how God had allowed some of these circumstances, some of these dangerous situations, even in my family, to prepare me for what we were going to do even in this country uh, of Chile as well. And, and, and I'm always encouraged by seeing how God takes individuals, just like every one of you, how he takes churches, just like Overlake, through different processes, through different orchestrations. And I see how God has orchestrated so many different things in this body of believers. I know the history of Overlake. I've lived with the good, the bad, and the ugly, but I've seen what God desires to do. What God wants to do is orchestrate something so glorious among all of you because He orchestrates good for His children. If we walk in faith, if we walk in obedience, we will see things far beyond what we have ever asked for, what we have ever Imagine the, the challenge is, as we look at 2012, are we willing to be faithful? Are we willing to be obedient to what God is orchestrating among us? And that's a personal challenge for every one of you individually and as believers of Overlake. What is God orchestrating? He is orchestrating good. And we need to move in that goodness and see what God is going to do. I hope you can hear that rhythm. I hope you can sense God's orchestration of what He is doing among you. When we, tr when we continued to live in Chile, we fell in love with Chilenos, we loved them, and then 
began sensing that God was calling us to mobilize the Chilean church into other countries as well. And so we got an invitation into, into Ecuador. Whole new rhythm. Whole new set of standards. And so we took 42 Chileans up to Ecuador and met a team of 22 North Americans. And all of us, 60-some people, lived in one house with two bathrooms for two weeks. Talk about cultural experience. Talk about challenges. It was really something. And, and, and we get into this town, and it was on invitation, and we had no clue what to expect, but this place was Sodom and Gomorrah. This was the Wild West. And so in the evenings, it was the week of the patron saint of this town, and so they took her statue and put them on the shoulders and would walk down the streets and everybody was drunk out of their mind and had guns. And they're firing these things and stumbling all over the place. And I go, we're dead. <laughs> what in the world? God, you're orchestrating this. We're walking in obedience. And this, this thing is just going nuts. And, you know, I'm watching and there's this law of gravity. Bullets that go up. They do come down. And these were zinc roofs everywhere. And you just hear the raining down bullets. And I go, everybody inside. <laughs> so we're inside wondering what in the world is going on. And then we discovered it in the daytime when everybody was recovering from their hangovers. We could be out ministering to the kids and the youth. And so we began moving among them and seeing how God began to touch this town that was so, so burdened with sin and the disease of addictions. And God began to orchestrate a whole new song in this town. And now there are multiple churches and God has transformed this area for, for His glory. And, and we continued to walk in obedience and we began to make two trips a year into this country. And one time we get to the border of Peru, of which I never wanted to work in, because it had the terrorist group, the Shining Path. These dudes were famous. They would go in and kill entire villages. They would stop a bus and get on and kill everybody. And I went, oh no. And so we get there, and I can't, we get stuck in the town. I, we can't travel. And I feel God saying to me, I want to orchestrate something new in Peru. And my immediate response was, I'm going to Ecuador. Got on a plane and took off to Ecuador. On the way back, hmm, got stuck in the same town again for 24 hours. And I go, okay, I get it. I'm never going to get to Ecuador again until I'm obedient in this Peru thing. And so we took a team up there and I said, God, we'll do it. Could you just move the shining path a little to the north? while we're visiting. Well, we went up there and found out that the Shining Path, this was their vacation spot. And they hardly killed anyone during that time. So it was okay. And so now we have multiple churches planted in that area as well and just saw how God is, is ministering and orchestrating things far beyond what we would ever, ever believe. Three countries... Three, three of, all three of them are completely, completely different. You go, 
God, this is amazing what you desire to do among all nations and among all people. And I think we need to ask ourselves, are we in love with God's orchestration? Or do we have our own agenda? Do we like what we want to do? Or are we trusting God? And I thought, wow, 25 years? 20 churches planted in, in Latin America? They're beginning to multiply? Who could ask for anything more? And then God put this verse upon me in John 5.44. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? And I started thinking, well, I don't mind the pats on the back after 25 years. But then I, always thought, I also thought, you mean mankind can be praised by God? That was a new concept for me. And I started to think, did Jesus ever publicly praise people during his ministry? He sure did. One of his declarations was, never have I seen such faith in all of Israel. He said it in front of an entire crowd. Based on what? Based on people that walked in faith and obedience. Every time you look at Jesus pointing out a man or a woman, and publicly praising him, it's because of acts of faith and obedience. And I began to think, Lord, what do you want to do in our lives then? How do you want to orchestrate things that we have never, ever considered? And I thought back over my childhood and those painful notes and the sorrow that I lived, but how God transformed that into something that I would have never never believed in that new sheet music. And then we see all of Latin America and how God had placed that before us. And then all of a sudden, here comes an entire new rhythm. I find myself in northern Africa, in Morocco. And it's the king of Morocco's birthday. And it's nine o'clock at night. And I'm looking over this plaza and all the women are in their homes under Islamic customs at sunset. They go home. And so I'm listening to all these live bands playing. And I see about 2,000 Muslim men all dancing together. And I went, this is new. <laughs> Haven't seen this before. But as I watched and watched these people celebrate... I felt the, the Lord once again saying, I'm going to orchestrate something new in your life. None of these people know the Lamb of God. None of these people know that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for them. And it broke my heart. And I began to cry and I began to say, God, whatever you want, we'll try to walk obediently in that, in that context. A few months later, my wife and I are in, in Europe. We're at a conference where all they're talking about is loving Muslims and reaching out to Muslims. And after about four days, I had a headache. I didn't want to hear anything more about Muslims. I was saturated and I was walking out of the building and somebody grabs me by the arm and spins me around and goes, Jeff, 
are you going to the meeting about Iraq? And I went, no. <laughs> and he goes, ah, oh, Jeff, come on, this is important. You know, this is the year of the war, 2003. Some interesting things are taking place. And I went, I don't think I'm invited. I'm new on the block. I was looking for any excuse not to go. And finally looked at my wife and she said, well, let's go. So we walk in to this meeting and the leaders are saying, the borders are down. Anybody can walk into Iraq right now. Good people and bad people. We just need people that are willing to go for six months with a team to bless the Muslims until we can get permanent people in there. And I was thinking, Lord, you called us to help mobilize Latinos all over the world. And these are some of the places where we want to mobilize. And I felt the Lord saying, Jeff, if you're going to send young Latinos into that type of place, you need to be willing to take your family. And so I look at my wife and she goes, bags are packed. She's always way ahead of me anyway. It's so humiliating. And uh, so we go back to the Chilean churches, and I I'm submitted my life to the Chileans, and we told them what we felt God was doing, and he, they said, this is of God. And so I preached that Sunday and invited people to go, and that Sunday I had 12 people that committed, two of our children and eight others. And so in November of 2003, we took off for Iraq. And I'll never remember the the entrance. You get in this little plane and you start doing a spiral descent as fast as you can to avoid being hit by a missile. Not fun. I thought, we're dead again. I've found out that's one of my favorite terms now. We're dead. So we land there and I kiss the ground when we get off, you know, and begin living among our Muslim friends. And we had an open door policy we just started inviting people in. We were doing relief and development, helping the Kurdish people in northern Iraq, and just a great opportunity. But we had a lot of people coming through. And I, and I remember uh, one of the guys that came through had trained under Al-Qaeda. And this guy, if you know, he was serious stuff. This guy could have snapped me in two. And he kept coming back. And I remember one time he, was, he, he would come through because we had an open-door policy. Our living room was full of our Muslim friends. And he'd come in and he'd do this once over. He'd look through the crowd and you'd see his eyes bug and then go over. And after that person left, he'd come over to me. Jeff, do you know who you have in here? He is a fundamentalist. He will kill you. I didn't know that. Jeff, where are your guards? Oh, I have so many guards. Where are they? They're angels. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're going to die. <laughs> it only takes one bad Muslim to kill all of you. We're good in general, but it only takes one bad. But the incredible thing was the love that he spent with us. The time we spent, he was the first Muslim that came into the kingdom of God and gave his life to Jesus. And his life was transformed. And now there's 16 believers in that area. That's a mega church for that, that part of the world. And you just see how God can orchestrate even people that have been trained in Al-Qaeda, trained to do the worst, 
can be transformed by Jesus Christ. We now have people, young Latinos all over, Afghanistan, Sierra Leone, Morocco, all over the world that are beginning to show their love to our Muslim friends. Somebody came up to me when I was speaking between services at another church, and they said, Jeff, you are so courageous. And I started thinking about that, and I went, I I don't want to be known as a courageous person. I've seen some really courageous stunts on YouTube. I don't know if that's courageous or stupid. People just crashing into buildings, you know. I'm going to fly over 400 cars and... No. They made it about three. I think it definitely comes down to other things. Not being courageous. Being faithful. Being obedient to what God has called us to do in our lives. You know what I think the most dangerous thing in, in, the, in the world is? It's taking the easy way out. It's taking the easy road in life. That's dangerous. Because that's not usually what God is orchestrating. God is orchestrating us to things far beyond what we've ever asked or what we'd ever believed. Sometimes we get so much stuff that we're afraid to be obedient because we might lose this stuff. How much has this stuff really done for us? Sometimes we're worried, well, I don't want my reputation. I don't want to lose my reputation. I've worked so hard for my reputation. I remember when we said we were going to Iraq, so many people said I was nuts. Talk about losing your reputation. This guy simply has a death wish. He wants to be a martyr. He wants to have that little poster here at Overlake with the martyr look, you know. I've been working on it for a while, you know. And you guys can light these little candles. I could have it right here, Mike. Pastor Mike, we could just put it right there on Sunday mornings. Who cares about reputation? Who cares about what we have when God gives us the ability to do greater things? What God wants to do among your lives as well. I came back and accepted an opportunity to teach just for for a semester at William Jessup University where I graduated from. And I accepted uh, under one circumstance that the course could be called Understanding and Loving Muslims. It's the first at the, at the university. And it's been great. Kathy and I moved into the apartment, and uh, I took off for the mosque in Sacramento. And I walk in, and a young convert, a North American convert, comes up to me and says, Would you like to convert to Islam? And I went, mm, No. <laughs> but I would like to build bridges between Christians and Muslims. And he said, you need to talk to the imam. And so I met with the spiritual leader, and this guy is so cool looking. He has a beard down to here. I am so jealous. And he's got a robes, and he's just an incredible guy. And he goes, Jeff, why are you here? And I said, I lived in Iraq for seven months, and I fell in love with Muslims. And he goes, alhamdulillah, may God be praised. I have never heard anyone say that to me in my life, a Christian saying, He loves Muslims. 
And so we continue to talk, and then he goes, Jeff, I'm so sorry, my English is really broken. You know, I'm not from this country, but and I lived in, in Puerto Rico for 22 years, and I smile and switch into Spanish, and he goes, you are scary. <laughs> I've now had him uh, teach at William Jessup and talk about drawing a crowd. When, he, when this guy walks on campus, he's the first one that ever has. And uh, as I was walking him out to his car, I said, my friend, I believe that God has called me to help people understand Muslims better. And he turns around and he just grabs me and holds me. We have a choice in life. Are we going to build barriers or are we going to build bridges? You know what the word priest means. We're all a priesthood. Priests are bridge builders. We are going to make a difference in the world as we reach out and understand our friends. And as we love Muslims, I now have a number of these young kids hanging out in the mosques. Their friends are now going to church with them. They're talking. They're dialoguing. That's where the difference is going to make, make a major difference. And if I can have the music, please. This is how I see it. This is how I see the end of how everything is going to happen, how God is orchestrating things. He has taken people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, and is sending people out to show the love of God through people that are walking in faith and obedience, allowing God to orchestrate in their lives the love of God so that every nation can see that. And I, I understand some people are saying, you're crazy. There is a price. And I am aware that there is a price because the Word of God says this. In Revelation 6, 9, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, he saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and the testimony they had maintained. There is a price. We have hundreds of young people that are willing to pay that price to show the love of God, to show unconditional love of what God is orchestrating. Is that the worst place to be in the world under the throne of God? They'll be the first ones to come out and truly worship God because in Revelations 7, 9, it says, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That's how it's going to end. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnic group will before, be before the Lamb of God. And this is how I see it. Jesus will raise his hands. And when he looks over the multitudes that have been purchased with his blood, he'll raise his hands. And final and true worship will begin. And it will go on for eternity. Missions will stop one day. But worship will go on forever. And that's what it's about. Being part of his orchestration. And reaching the nations. 
and touching lives and allowing him to orchestrate through us by steps of faith and obedience. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this precious church. And I thank you what you have orchestrated here at Overlake. I thank you for bringing Pastor Mike here, part of your divine orchestration. And I pray that you will help this church to walk in faith and obedience more than ever. And I pray that you will open the windows of heaven with blessings. May this message fall on good soil. May the notes that you began today come to a glorious end for the glory of your Father. In Jesus' name, amen.